Today, we talk about the Georgia Senate race, the chaos at the Capitol on Wednesday, and the end of the presidential election. All of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture, where we explore what it looks like together to have vitally important political, cultural, and faith conversations, all with the ultimate goal of exuding truth and love, conviction, and grace in our discourse. Well, happy Friday, everyone. And I know it may not feel like a happy Friday. I know there's a mix of emotions going on. Some people are angry and frustrated, saddened by the events of the last week. And, and I understand that. And I feel a lot of that too. Uh, there's, a, there's a plethora of emotions going around. And I know a lot of people too just feel numb or just tired with this whole thing. And they're just, uh, when, are, when does it feel like the tumultuous headlines day after day are going to stop? I just got back from a little time away with my wife. Actually, still technically on the time away, but our vacation part has kind of ended. And, uh, Honestly, maybe this was naive of me a few months ago when we planned this. We planned it before the election. And I thought, oh, well, you know, regardless of what happens, even with how crazy it'll be, by January 6th, we'll be just, you know, on procedural stuff from there. And so January 6th will probably be uneventful. And, you know, once we really get into 2021, you know, other stuff will be crazy and COVID will probably still be going on and the lockdowns will still be getting worse and the Great Reset and all that. But at least with the the daily sort of breaking news that's crazy in our country, you know, it'll be a little calmed down. Wrong I was. And so (laughs) it's been kind of a crazy week away. Honestly, it's been very restful and refreshing for my wife and I, which has been absolutely amazing. So really grateful that we've been able to start off 2021 like this. But definitely with everything going on in the world around us, it's been tough to swallow. It's been tough to watch. At the same time, I'm really thankful for this platform. I'm really thankful for the opportunity and the honor that it is to be able to speak with you all about these important issues. I'm really thankful for whoever of you would be interested in continuing to listen and and enjoy thinking critically and asking tough questions about what's going on around us. And so I'm thankful I have the opportunity to do that together with you all today. I hope and pray that this is a helpful resource for you. As always, if you enjoy the show, make sure you share this with your community and make sure you subscribe on the podcast provider of your choice. You can subscribe to my email list on my website, refiningpoliticsandculture.com. Make sure you follow me on social media at Real Michael Seifert, where I give daily updates on the news there. Also, you can donate to the show if you'd like to already. Thank you so much for those of you or excuse me, you can donate to the show if you'd like to. And thank you so much to all of you who have donated already. That has helped the show grow tremendously and helps me uh, continue to do the show more and more into the future in a full-time capacity. Really, really grateful for your support, everyone. And I am looking forward next week, we're going to get back on a normal schedule. So I'll have Tuesday, Thursday, video update. Um, We'll get into 2021 back to the regular schedule. And then I have some fun updates for you guys coming in the next few weeks. So looking forward to that. Today, what I want to do is I want to cover the events that are on everyone's mind, the unrest that took place in the Capitol on Wednesday. I want to talk about the Georgia Senate races just briefly on Tuesday. I want to talk about what I believe was Trump's concession speech that he gave last night, Thursday, January 7th, in a video that he sent out to the nation um, through his aides. So let's get into it. Uh, Again, I I struggle because there's so much we could unpack with all of this. And we will get to this over the next few weeks. We'll continue to unpack this. We're going to talk a lot about the Trump presidency over the next few weeks. We're also going to talk a lot about what comes next. We're going to talk about the implications of the last week on the long term. But what I want to do today is just give a few initial thoughts on what's happened over the past week that'll sort of set the stage for where I want to go over the next few weeks. So 
First, I want to give a little rundown of what actually took place this week. First, on Tuesday, we had the Georgia Senate races won by John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. So the two Democrats beat David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler, and uh, that essentially left the Senate layout 50 Republicans to 50 Democrats. Now, on Wednesday, we had January 6th, which is the procedural day in which the joint session of Congress gets together and they count the electoral votes that were actually cast by the Electoral College. So up until January 6th, it was technically 0-0, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. No electoral votes were formally certified until January 6th, and that happened when Congress actually counted them, officially certifying, and officially then, in turn, certifying the race for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, which also means that Kamala Harris, given that she's the vice president-elect of the United States and will be the president of the Senate, is now the swing vote that breaks the 50-50 tie gridlock in the Senate, meaning that the Democrats, because they got the presidency and the Senate, now have control over the presidency, Senate, and the House. So the Democrats have a majority over government. They also have a majority over the media, big tech, Hollywood, the corporations, Wall Street. So there's a lot that's about to change in very serious ways. And we're going to talk about a lot of that today. So at the same time that all that procedural stuff was happening, the Senate race on Tuesday, and then just the normal process on January 6th of actually certifying the electoral votes, we also had a riot that broke out where a group of, of rogue um, rioters essentially stormed the Capitol building, broke into the Capitol building and wreaked havoc on the place. Senators, congressmen and women were hitting, hiding under their desks. They were... Uh, shielded off by different Capitol Police. They were stormed into other rooms away from the public eye. Um, they were essentially on lockdown, this building was. And the the protest actually started as a million people that were gathering in D.C. that were there to peacefully assemble and to protest the election results as they were constitutionally allowed to do. Uh, a nefarious group of them went rogue, stormed the Capitol, and actually there was a lot of fighting amongst the protesters because a lot of protesters were booing those that were trying to be violent um, and were trying to stop them from breaking the Capitol. They did anyways. They got through and, again, just wreaked havoc on the place. I mean, I saw pictures of people sitting at Nancy Pelosi's desk. I saw people in the actual chamber that... Uh, that were um, carrying the chairs and hauling out the speaker's podium. It, it was a wild, wild scene. It was like something from a movie. It was disgusting. It was disturbing. It was unacceptable. It was un-American. It was not patriotic. Anyone that says that what took place on Wednesday was a patriotic move, it's just not true. Uh, we we got to squash any narrative like that. It was not patriotic in the slightest. It was not a revolution. It was not some righteous uprising. It was unacceptable. And unfortunately, January 6th will go down as a day in American history where the Capitol was stormed. It won't go down as a day in history where uh, there was hundreds of thousands of people outside that were praying for the country, were peacefully exercising their constitutional rights. Even though that was the case, it will go down as a day in history where a small group of people, but a group of people nonetheless, hijacked this movement and uh, exercised their nefarious intentions and the rest of the country suffered for it. So that's what took place on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, you had uh, the president of the United States yesterday, President Trump last night actually released a video, which I believe it was his concession speech. He didn't formally say the words, I concede, but he did acknowledge that there'd be a transfer of power to the next administration. He did say it would be a new administration coming on January 20th. And so uh, that, that truly was his concession speech. Now, I want to share a few thoughts that I have related to the riots specifically that took place on Wednesday. Some are observations, more sort of ideas. So let's get into the first is this. I mentioned earlier in the episode, this was heartbreaking. The fact that this is where our country's at, it's not entirely surprising, but it's heartbreaking nonetheless. This nation's been a powder keg for a long time. 
What happened on Wednesday was not a monolith. It was not out of nowhere. The media tried to act like this was just, oh my gosh, I can't believe anyone would enact political violence. We've never seen this before. Look at these awful Trump supporters. Hey, the people who were storming the Capitol and rioting, that was awful. I'm not arguing that. What I am also saying is that the media is so short-sighted and they're so biased and they're so driven by a desire for division and a political agenda that they neglect to tell people that for the last seven months, our streets have been burning down in our country. BLM and Antifa have destroyed cities across this country, small businesses, minority communities, federal buildings, police stations. And then the media not only ignores it, they also sometimes even go a step further to celebrate it. And then mayors of these different cities feel bad and they want to appease this mob. So they name city streets after them. They paint their murals all over the buildings. It's really, really wild what's taken place over the last seven months in our country. And it all goes to show that this nation has been a powder keg for a long time. There has been this growing dissatisfaction with our system on both sides of the aisle. And on Wednesday, we saw evidence of this, just like we've seen evidence of it over the last seven months. Neither okay. Both should be called out. And by the way, I don't take anyone's opinion seriously right now, with all due respect, who was willing to call out one of those instances, but not willing to call out the other. Here's what I mean. If someone was willing to call out the last seven months of riots when it was BLM and Antifa, and now that it was Trump supporters, they're like, well, no, they were being patriots. Mm -mm, Don't take them seriously. Those are not serious people. Again, with all due respect, that's not that I think that they're awful people. I just think that they're misguided in their approach. But those are not serious opinions. I don't take them seriously. And then the same is true on the other side, and we're seeing a lot more of this right now. There's a lot of people that were completely uh, unaware uninformed, ignorant, purposely of the riots over the last seven months. They did not call it out on social media. They didn't post all of these little infographics on their Instagrams about how awful the riots were. They didn't call it out. Some of them even cheered it on. And then on Wednesday, they called it out when it was the other side, when it was the right that was storming the Capitol building. And by the way, I know that there were some uh, some also left-wing agitators that were there at the Capitol as well, but I, I do believe it was majority Trump supporters. So we'll talk about that in a second as well. All that to say, the nation's been a powder keg for a long time. Uh, There is growing dissatisfaction on both sides of the aisle. I do believe objectively, because I guess I should say I believe subjectively, but based upon objective realities, that there has been far more on the left that's taken place over the last seven months. And I'm and I'm disappointed that our media has not covered it, like I just mentioned. But the dissatisfaction is there on both sides. It's dangerous. And we need to do what we can to bring peace to those situations. Ultimately, amidst the chaos, it's very wise of us to remember John 14, 27. These are Jesus' words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is able to give a peace that surpasses all understanding. We have learned over the last seven months and really over the last year, 2020 as a whole, that the world cannot give a deeper satisfaction of peace. The world can certainly be peaceful. And there's a reality that blessed are the peacemakers, that we should seek people, and we should seek to be people ourselves that can bring peace to situations. But if we are looking to the world for our ultimate satisfaction or to bring that ultimate peace, Jesus makes it very clear. He gives a different type of peace than the world gives. And so even amidst the chaos that's happening, the saddening realities that we're seeing around us, we can recognize as people, as believers of Jesus Christ, that he offers a greater peace, an ability to find our joy, not in what's happening around us, Remember, happiness depends on what's happening, the circumstances around us. Joy is this deep, settled confidence that God has me. He's got my circumstances. He loves me, and I have ability to access his peace regardless of what I'm going through. That's so important to remember. We have that ability right now, even amidst the chaos, and we're going to need it more than ever. 
So my second thought is this. We know a lot about what took place on Wednesday. There are also so many questions that we still need answered. And I hope that we get some answers over the next few weeks and we'll continue to cover them on the show. There's just so much about what took place on Wednesday that does not add up. First question is this. How on earth was it this easy to storm the Capitol? We spend billions of dollars a year on national defense. We spend billions of dollars a year helping other countries with their national defense. And we could not even secure our own Capitol building from a guy with a Viking hat and another dude with a beanie who waltzed in, stole the Speaker of the House podium and left with a smile on his face on camera. How on earth does that work? We had one guy that actually took a picture at Nancy Pelosi's computer. Can you imagine the national security implications of this? This should deeply concern all of us as not only American taxpayers, but also as Americans that trust these people to keep us safe and secure from all threats, foreign and domestic. I don't understand that. What if there was a foreign adversary that wanted to sneak in with this group? They put on a Viking hat. Apparently that's acceptable. They waltz into this group. They sit down at the Speaker of the House's computer, open her email, which we have pictures of, and get whatever intelligence they need off of it. How on earth is this okay? Why are we not talking about this? There could have been people in that group that had nefarious intentions, that were there on behalf of a foreign government. By the way, everybody that was in the building had nefarious intentions, other than the journalists that were there just to cover it. But uh, my point is, what if there was a foreign adversary or someone working on behalf of another state or another entity or an organization that took advantage of that situation, stole state secrets, important information. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is the third most powerful person in our country. And somebody was able to waltz in, sit at her desk, pop the feet up, pop their feet up on the desk and just view the computer email wide open. That's really, really astounding. So how on earth was it this easy to storm the Capitol? That's really important. What are the national security implications of what took place on Wednesday? We as Americans should have a lot of questions about this because that was a major, this revealed a major gaping hole. Also, what was the police response? What was the coordinated response there? Obviously, my heart breaks for the police officer that lost his life. That was an absolute tragedy. Also, the other three people that lost their lives, you never want to see anything like that happen. Um, you never want to see events like this happen in the first place, but it's, it's a heartbreaking thing anytime that there's death involved. My question is, where was the police response? Because some police officers were actually letting people in. Other police officers were shooting and blocking with violent force. There was a 14-year veteran from San Diego, California, a young woman who, poor woman, was just deceived by a lot of crazy ideas. You know, she broke into the Capitol building and was shot dead unarmed by a police officer. So where was the coordinated response? Because clearly some police officers were aiding and abetting what took place, letting people into the Capitol, other police officers went and used violent force. So what, what was the response? Who led that process? There are so many questions we need answered there because, again, it just revealed a gaping hole of how truly unsecure our capital is. You had the most powerful people in our country, including the vice president himself, all gathered in one room. and It was that easy for a group of people to storm the Capitol. What would have happened if these were actual terrorists that had weapons and bombs and explosive devices that were ready to wreak havoc on the most powerful people in our country all in one room together? Would they have been able to waltz in that easily? And so that's deeply concerning. Again, where was the coordinated response? Um, who was the officer that shot the woman? We need to know that because the woman was unarmed. Is that policy? Is that procedure? We don't know. Also, who killed the Capitol Police officer? Apparently, we're hearing that it could have been with a fire hydrant. We need to know that. These arrests need to be made of the rioters that stormed this building. I think that's really important. Um, Trump has called for law and order and that any of them would face swift prosecution, arrest, and imprisonment for the actions that they committed. I think that that's appropriate. Another question is, who were the rioters themselves? There are some people that are saying it was all far-right agitators. That's not true. 
There are also some people that are saying it was all Antifa and Black Lives Matter. That's also not true. There's a lot of journalists on the scene that said that, you know what, it was a majority far-right agitators, but there were also Antifa and BLM mixed in to the crowd. There were a lot of people that just love chaos. They were anarchists. They just wanted to take advantage of an opportunity to see destruction. There are a lot of people that actually just feel disenfranchised by the whole system. They don't really care right or left. They just wanted to burn the system to the ground. There were a lot of people there. We need to actually know the breakdown. Who were these people? What did they actually believe? So again, for the ultimate purpose of securing the capital into the future and understanding a little bit more about what happened on Wednesday. So a lot of questions we need answered. My third thought is this. Government needs to take a hard look in the mirror right now. Media needs to take a hard look in the mirror right now and ask themselves this growing dissatisfaction that Americans on both sides of the aisle have for different reasons. Have I played a part in that? Have I aided and abetted that in any way? Have I actually come through for the American people and help them feel like they can trust the system? Or have I been destructive on that end? Have I made Americans feel like they can actually trust their representatives to act in their best interests? Or have I aided Americans in thinking that, you know what, all this is really a sham? Because there's a lot of people that clearly feel right now that political violence is the last resort, but it is an unnecessary resort. And that is, that's wild that we're there, but that's what's been revealed over the last seven months. So Congress and the media need to lead the way in having actual constructive conversations, trying to hear both sides of the aisle and saying, okay, what is your actual demands? What do you guys actually want right now? Because clearly this is not working. So that's third thought there is that Congress will not do this. They will not take a hard look in the mirror and say, is there anything we've done to make this worse or better? And can we improve in any way? They won't do that, but I wish they would. The media certainly won't as well, but I wish they would. And I think that that's really needed. What they're rather going to do is they're going to say, nope, just blame this on all the extremists, these crazy nut jobs. Uh, Don't focus on the left wing stuff, but focus on the right wing stuff, blame it all on them. And let's make a bunch of laws into the future uh, that overreach on people's privacy to ensure that this can never happen again without ever looking in the mirror once and asking, did we play a part in this? to assist in people's uh, distrust of the system. Does not make what happened on Wednesday, it does not make what happened over the last seven months okay in the slightest. What it does mean is that, wake up, like our country is there. People are angry, they're frustrated to the point that they're burning down cities across the country and storming the Capitol building. It's time that Congress says, okay, we need to take a step back The Congress has a less than a 30% approval rating among the country. It's the lowest trusted institution in the United States. Maybe we play a part in making this better, but maybe we could play, or maybe we play a part in making this worse, but maybe we could play a part in making it better. And let's figure out what that part is. Fourth thought is this. Trump did a lot of really dumb things on Wednesday. Inciting violence was not one of them. This is a total misunderstanding of what the word inciting means. And the media has loved to use this over the last few days. They'd love to say that Trump incited the violence and therefore we should pull the 25th Amendment and remove him. Nancy Pelosi drafted articles of impeachment for next week because he incited the riots. Guys, speech is not violence. Unless you're directly calling for violence, it's not inciting. We got to stop saying that. So when, uh, when Steve Scalise was shot by the Bernie Sanders supporter a few years ago, I didn't say that Bernie Sanders incited the violence because the guy was a supporter of Bernie Sanders. In the same way, we should not say that Donald Trump incited the violence on the Capitol, the storming of the Capitol, unless he actually did, which he did not. He never once said, I went back and I listened to the speeches from the last week. Never once did he call for violent action. Never once did he call for breaking into the Capitol building. Never once did he call for any forces uh, against members of Congress. Never once. But the media loves to equate speech as violence. And this is something that we've seen over the last few years. Uh, The left has moved to say that 
if you disagree with us, your speech is violence. That's why they come against the First Amendment, because they actually say that hate speech can cause physical harm emotionally. So they'll say that emotional harm and emotional health is a part of my physical health. So therefore, if you harm my emotional health, you're harming my physical health, meaning that your speech is violence. And that is carried into every facet of our society. And it is dangerous because if it can be used against the president of the United States, it can be used against you and me. Eventually, me having the belief that men are men and women are women, like we've seen in Norway, will be seen as a form of violence because my belief will be seen as inciting violence. And that's really dangerous. So please stop saying that Trump incited violence on Wednesday unless he actually called for violence. He never did. People are saying that the senators that objected to the Electoral College vote in Arizona incited the violence because of their objection. That's ridiculous. Democrats objected to the, the election results in 2000, 2004, and 2016, and nobody said that they were inciting violence on the other side. That's crazy. So right now, you're seeing the tech companies then jump in and ban him from all the platforms, Trump, because he incited violence. Never once did he call for violence, so stop saying he incited violence. He did a lot of dumb things on Wednesday. I couldn't stand that he threw Mike Pence under the bus. I think Mike Pence is an honorable man. I think he is a rarity in politics. I think he's trustworthy. And Trump threw him under the bus. And I think that that's a really big shame. I also don't think that Trump did enough to stop the violence by coming out early enough and doing a national televised announcement saying that he denounced the violence. Clearly, I don't think he did enough. But at the same time, that's different than directly calling to incite the violence. Trump did not cause this. This was deeper than the election results. This is deeper than the belief that there was election fraud. And if you can't see that, if you genuinely believe that this all just sprung up over the last two months because Donald Trump challenged the election, I don't know what to tell you. I would actually suggest that the people that believe that are maybe a little more out of touch with the American people than they think. This resentment has been growing for a long time. People have not trusted the system for decades. This is just the boiling point. And it was just the, the belief of election fraud, which, by the way, I believe that there was election fraud too. I just don't believe that violence is the answer to alleviate any of it. Um, those people... That was just the cherry on top. This was not the root cause. So believing that Trump was somehow the root cause of all of this is wild. And it's not okay because, again, it goes a lot deeper than him. If they can say that him calling to challenge the election results is somehow inciting violence, that means that you and I can get called uh, for incite, as inciters of violence for lots of things, too, for beliefs that are unpopular with the status quo or with the ruling party of the day. And so I'm looking five years in the future and I'm seeing how dangerous this language is where people say speech is violence or it's equated to violence or even if you're not directly calling for violence, you are still agitating on violence. We, we got to stop doing that. I didn't do it with Obama. Black Lives Matter started under Obama. Um, Ferguson happened under Obama and I didn't say Obama was the cause of Ferguson. I don't believe his rhetoric was helpful, just like I don't believe Donald Trump's rhetoric was helpful on Wednesday, but I wouldn't accuse Obama of directly inciting for violence because that is a really dangerous accusation. The media has made it so haphazardly over the last few days with Trump. We got to stop doing that. Don't accept it either. I, I'm, I know I sound serious about this, but seriously, Hillary has been saying since 2016 that the election was illegitimate. No one accused her of attempting to incite violence. Hillary literally said two months ago to Joe Biden, I guess three months ago now, do not concede under any circumstances. The election was stolen from me. It'll be stolen from you. Was that inciting violence against Trump supporters? No. It's Or Republican congressmen and women? No. That was just Hillary saying whatever she wants to with the media covering her. Now when Trump wants to do the same thing because he believes the election was stolen, the media says that he's inciting riots and a coup and an attempt to overthrow the government. Wild stuff. Fifth thought is in a similar vein. There were a lot of people that 
immediately jump to lump together entire movements on Wednesday and blame them for this. There were a lot of journalists on the left that said that this was, uh, if you are any conservative, you voted for Trump, if you've ever worn a MAGA hat, if you believe the election was fraudulent at all, you caused this. It is your fault. That's crazy. You're going to blame 74 million people for the actions of a few crazy people who uh, were acting very delusionally and storming the Capitol. That, that's wild, wild, wild stuff. You cannot do that. Over 40% of Americans believe the election was stolen. Still, to this day, Rasmussen, the most accurate polling agency over the last four years, took that poll on January 5th. That was literally three days ago, and over 40% of Americans found that the, they believe that the election was stolen. So we, we have to stop accepting this language that lumps people into these broad categories and said that if you believe this, or if you think this, or if you said this, then you are inherently at cause. You are uh, a part of the violence that took place on Wednesday. That's wild. We saw an ABC journalist come out and said that he said that getting rid of Trump was the easy part. Getting rid of the movement, cleansing the movement he commands is another. Cleansing 74 million people. That's wild language. But we saw that over the last few days, just like we've seen at any time, there is a fringe group on the right that does something stupid. Uh, the media lumps in the entire conservative movement. Meanwhile, if BLM or Antifa does something stupid on the left, the media says, well, it's just a few bad apples. It was a mostly peaceful protest. They don't give the right that same credit. Instead, the goal is lump everyone together so that if you share any of these common beliefs, we can straw man argument, say that, well, you actually, because you believe this, you then wanted blank. And that's, that's not okay. It leads really dangerous places. Again, I try to look five years down the road of where does this rhetoric lead? And it's not pretty places. So we shouldn't accept it now. Sixth thought is this. Far too many people are vulnerable to having their worldviews and their perceptions shaped by social media and the mainstream media in moments of chaos. You'd think we've learned by now, but we haven't. We need to take everything we hear from the media with a grain of salt. Don't just believe every Instagram post you hear. Um, I feel really strongly about this. A lot of people jumped out and reposted stuff on their Instagrams, trying to look virtuous to their peers and make sure that they were on the right social train, make sure that they were on the right movement, and ended up just posting completely false, fraudulent stuff. Wasn't real, mischaracterized what happened during the day, got it completely off, or it completely ignored realities of what took place. There was actually a, um, a group of uh, right-wing agitators, these far-right guys that attacked this woman as she was leaving, tried to pepper spray her, and this guy came behind her and, uh, and wrapped his arms around her to try to protect her. Somebody got a picture of that, posted it all over the internet, saying that he was trying to hold her down while she got pepper sprayed. Well, then it turns out they posted his employer. He got fired. The girl actually came out who he was holding and said, no, 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 wait. He was trying to protect me from these other agitators. He whispered in my ear and said that these people are trying to hurt you. We need to get you out of here. And he wrapped his arms around him. The person got the picture of just that moment, blasted it all over the internet. That guy lost his job for it and now is facing uh, defamation from the entire social media world because of hundreds of thousands of people like that picture and millions of people have seen it, believing that that was what happened. We got to stop doing that. People trying to be virtuous, post this stuff on social media, jump into movements immediately, feeling like they need to form an opinion on something, and then they actually post something that's a complete lie, or that's not true. Remember, it's Mark Twain that said, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so. When people form opinions immediately, when they jump to express that, look, I'm on the right social movement, I'll jump in with the chorus, I'll call it out now, even though I was unwilling to call it out for the last seven months when it was happening in minority communities all across the country being burnt to the ground, that's problematic. We have to take everything with a grain of salt. Don't feel the rush to form opinions right away. 
And recognize the Democrats now control the media, big tech, and the presidency, the Senate, and the House. They control every facet of society, Wall Street as well, big corporations as well. Which means, starting on January 20th, be skeptical of everything you hear from media, corporations. I know that that sounds not like a fun thing to do, and it's a bummer that we're there, but we have to do it. We've got to be skeptical of everything we read on social media. Do not feel the rush or the social pressure to jump right into every movement. It's okay not knowing. It's better to not know and to slow, take your time in forming your opinions rather than formulating opinions that are not actually true or based in reality. So seventh thought is this. The media is only sharing half the story, and this is what really frustrates me. Our nation's been on fire on and off for the last seven months, and the media has defended it. Remember, they said riots are the voice of the unheard on CNN this summer. Now they act like the riots started on Wednesday, and it's all the Trump supporters' fault. The left never did anything wrong. They have a clear agenda in its division. It may seem like, oh, well, they're just being biased. At the end of the day, that's actually problematic because you're having a lot of people believe this false narrative that the country's been peaceful until Trump showed up or that the country's been peaceful until these pesky conservatives showed up on the scene and started causing problems. That's not true. Remember, Black Lives Matter started under Barack Obama's presidency. That's not Barack Obama's fault. I'm not saying he incited the violence. What I am saying is that Black Lives Matter did not start in response to the conservative movement that's arisen in the last uh, four or five years. So the media only sharing half the story is deeply harmful. It distorts the truth. They told us over the summer that the riots are the voice of the unheard. They defended the riots when it was other people. Uh, they, they are now um, calling people domestic terrorists when it's the other side. Again, I believe both things were wrong, what happened on Wednesday and what's happened over the last seven months. And unless you're willing to say that, you probably need to sit this one out. Biden actually gave a speech the other night. He said, no one can tell me that if it had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesting yesterday, there wouldn't. They wouldn't have been treated very, very differently than the mob of thugs that stormed the Capitol. Biden is essentially saying and creating this narrative that was actually created originally on the media on Wednesday by the media on Wednesday, that if it was Black Lives Matter protesting the Capitol, things would have gone differently. They would have been treated much harsher. Here's the reality. BLM would have been treated very different, but not harsher. They would have been given their own street murals downtown. The D.C. mayor would have ordered all cops to take a knee. Media would have defended it as a righteous movement and the riots as the voice of the unheard. Nancy Pelosi uh, would have said, eh, people will do what they do. Nike would have run an ad campaign. Kamala would have promoted a fund that bailed out those rioters that were arrested. How do we know? Because all these exact things happened this past summer during BLM riots. Kamala Harris posted on a tweet asking people to bail out rioters to post money so that they could be bailed out. Nancy Pelosi was asked, what do you think about these people that are tearing down statues in the middle of the night and burning streets down? She said, eh, people will do what they do. Nike ran ad campaigns. The media said that riots were the voice of the unheard. It was a righteous movement. Sometimes this is just what people have to do. When they feel disenfranchised, they're going to take to the streets and we should support their right to continue taking to the streets. We heard that. We remember uh, the multiple congresswomen from the squad that actually said that they believe that people should not let up. They should keep going and should keep pressing until uh, people in Congress or people in authority positions feel their requests. So wild stuff. BLM, again, was given a street mural downtown in multiple cities across the country, most notably D.C. Muriel Bowser, uh, D.C. mayor, ordered the police to go easier on these on these riders. The media is trying to say the BLM would have been treated harsher. The reality is they would have been treated softer. How do we know we've seen it over the last seven months? 
These false narratives are destructive, they're damaging, they're causing division in society. We have to stop that. We need reasonable people that will stand up and say, what happened over the last seven months is bad, just like what happened on Wednesday is bad. We should stand against both. We should stand against both at all times. Political violence anywhere is unacceptable. When the media aided all of the political violence this summer, looked past it or even encouraged it, said that riots were the voice of the unheard, what they actually did is normalize political violence. You don't think people on both sides are going to catch wind of that and say, well, I guess this is acceptable. We can clearly get away with it. Cops will just take a knee. Remember, there was a group of Antifa protesters that set up their own autonomous zone inside of a city for days on end. Antifa protesters in Seattle literally stole a police station, just took it over. And the media was silent. They said, oh, this is just Fox News propaganda trying to even report on this. Let them do what they do. That's wild stuff. A thought is this. Sadly, I think yesterday will be, or Wednesday, excuse me, will be used as a political weapon uh, in the next administration to only lock down harder on free speech and privacy. We see anytime there's a national chaotic sort of event, uh, the government uses it to exert more power. Uh, our, you know, multiple government leaders over the course of modern American history and world history have said never let a good crisis go to waste. Most recently, uh, Hillary Clinton. And so you're, you're going to see, I would almost guarantee it, the Biden administration that's paired with big tech, big corporations, the technocratic authoritarians in Silicon Valley join together and say, uh, if you were a conservative, and in fact, they're already doing this, they're doing a massive purge on Twitter right now. If you were a conservative, you inherently have aided in the violence that took place on the Capitol. Therefore, to uh, withhold any violence from taking place again in the future, we have to ban all conservative voices. We're already seeing that happen. That may sound crazy, but leading prominent conservative voices over the last 48 hours have been completely banned from Twitter, have been completely locked out of their accounts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Not only has the president been locked out of his Facebook account, which is what I believe out of everything that's happened this week, I believe that was the most dangerous thing that's happened by far was Twitter and Facebook indefinitely locking out the president of the United States from his own account. The guy who has the nuclear codes is not even allowed to post on Facebook. That's a wild thing. That shows you how much power Mark Zuckerberg has over public speech and nobody elected him. That's crazy. And we should be concerned about that moving forward in the future. We should not cheer that on. There's some people that are, but I think that that is the most dangerous thing that's happened all week. In fact, all that to say... We're only going to see this increase. Uh, Dan Bongino, who is the most popular conservative podcaster in the country right now, was banned from his own Twitter. So he's now permanently leaving leaving Twitter. So all you're doing is creating these echo chambers because Twitter now is only going to be a safe place for left-wing voices and conservative voices are going to go into their own little camps and all we're going to do is hear each other's thoughts and voices all day long and that's really dangerous. You're creating echo chambers through censorship in society. Banning voices for saying things you don't like unless they are directly calling for violence. Literally, directly, I think we should go storm the Capitol and break in and hurt these people. That's inciting violence. Unless you're doing that, you should be able to speak freely. And this goes back to 230 reform, and we'll get into all that again. Talked about that over the last few months. We'll talk about that a lot in 2021 because it's going to come up. Overall, I think that we're going to see our privacy um overreached upon. I think we're going to see free speech drastically diminish in the coming months as a result of what took place on Wednesday, because they're going to use this as a crisis to uh, abuse people's rights as they do, as the government does often, especially on the left. And again, now that we have big tech, the media, Hollywood, big corporations, Wall Street, the presidency, the Senate and the House, all left wing and very progressive at that, 
I'm concerned that we are going to see that these entities like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, are going to become very unsafe places for conservatives in the coming months. And not only that, but in the public sphere in general. And so we're certainly going to cover that to the best of our ability as we move forward into the future. But that's something we should certainly be praying uh, against. Now, with all that said, I want to spend the rest of our episode together. That's kind of my thoughts on the riots. That's my thoughts on what's taken place this week with the unrest at Capitol Hill. And uh, obviously, again, there's a lot of questions we need answered. There's a lot that's going to continue unfolding, and we're going to continue covering this. What I want to do for the remainder of this episode is give a few quick thoughts related to Trump's, what I believe was a concession video that he released last night to the general public. And I'm, this is not exhaustive at all. This is only going to take about two, three, maybe four minutes. We're going to talk more next week about uh, Trump's presidency. We're going to overview a lot of what's taken place over the last four years, give even sort of a, a, a report card on how he did in different areas of policy and rhetoric, etc. But this is just an overview based upon that video. I will link the video in my show notes, by the way, that I will be sending out in an email tomorrow. So make sure you subscribe to my email list at refiningpoliticsandculture.com. So the first is this. For all of Trump's faults, and there were many, I do believe that President Trump was the best president of my lifetime, and there's not a close second. I believe he was the best president in the last three decades, and I don't believe there was a close second. For many reasons, we've talked about it a lot on the show. We're going to talk about it more in the future. I do not believe he was perfect. I believe he had many faults that were really damaging at times, but I do believe he was the best president of my lifetime. Number two, Trump did a lot of idiotic things and said a lot of really harmful things over this past week that I'm genuinely saddened and frustrated about. But this video that he released last night was excellent. And honestly, I wish he would have released it Wednesday. If he would have released it Wednesday night, I think it could have brought a lot of peace to the country and could have been really, really helpful uh, assistance to his movement, his legacy, uh, the message he was trying to portray. Because again, the video was excellent. I'll, I'll copy it in that show notes so you can see it. Number three, I honestly believe the November election was neither free nor fair. And I believe one of the most important issues we have to resolve moving forward as a nation is ensuring the integrity of our elections. I've shared a lot of the reasons why on this show, I believe there's a myriad of them that the election was not free nor fair. We've gotten into it a lot. We're going to continue getting into it in the future as we look back. But at the same time, with that said, Trump's challenges to the election results were unsuccessful for a myriad of reasons. And moving forward, I'm committed to treat Biden and soon Harris, let's be real, as the president of the United States. I'll genuinely pray for them. I'll pray for their families and I'll call them out when it's necessary, as I believe we should with any political leader. I've mentioned that a lot on this show as well. So I believe the election was fraudulent. Would it have changed the election results? I don't know. But I believe there are so many questions and irregularities that never got answered. The media never investigated. The courts never even ruled necessarily, these large federal courts, on the merits of the case. They ruled on the procedural grounds. And therefore, that really went to a lot of Trump's uh, legal team mishandling of these cases in the first place. I never believe that we actually got to hear the evidence laid out in front of us that was indeed there and was never debunked. Nobody ever debunked the Georgia video. We just kind of rolled right over it. We just thought that that was normal. Yeah, they tell poll watchers to leave. They count thousands more ballots in the night that they pulled out from what looked like suitcases from underneath tables. We have it all on video. Nobody bothered ever to answer that. Nobody bothers to answer the irregularities of how Trump won all these bellwether counties and pulled off the impossible in winning these bellwether counties, 17 out of 18, winning Ohio, Iowa, and Florida, and then losing the election. Nobody bothers to detail how Biden actually got over 80 million votes. That's the most successful presidential campaign in U.S. history, and he did it while he was in his basement. 
there are so many questions we need answered about this election. And again, that's literally skimming the surface. That's not even the best evidence we have. We've talked about it a lot in the show. But my point is, it doesn't matter if you can't prove it in court. It doesn't matter if you can't prove it. And I know that Trump had everything going against him. But at the same time, the the burden to actually prove is on the plaintiff. It's on the person that's trying to bring these accusations forward. So Trump wasn't able to do it. His legal team wasn't able to do it. I said it from the beginning that Trump, we were going to be able to tell the strength of his case by who he brought on the legal team. And I believe his team of people were not were not competent enough to do it. I, I do believe they faced every hurdle along the way. I don't believe the courts treated them fairly. The media sure uh, as goodness did not treat them fairly at all. But at the end of the day, it was still Trump's challenge to prove and they did not. And therefore, we have to accept the election results as they stand. It's constitutional to do so. And now I'm committed, like I mentioned, to treat Biden and Harris as the new presidential administration on January 20th to pray for them as my leaders, according to 1 Timothy 2.2, for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's my prayer, again, as I believe we should for any political leader. Number five is this. Honestly, I'm concerned about the future of our country. I believe there was a large segment of our population on November 3rd and the weeks before that actually believe Trump is the ultimate threat to our nation. They truly actually believe that. They believe the media enough to believe that that's the case. So they voted against him without any true understanding of who they were voting for in a Biden-Harris ticket. And I hope I'm wrong, but I predict society will learn quickly over the next few years the true results of the media, big tech, Senate, the House, and the presidency all being guided by progressivism and the agenda of the new modern Democratic Party. So honestly... I don't say this to induce fear or anxiety, but I will say this. We need to buckle up. We need to get ready for what's about to change because we are going to see a very different country. And they've promised that. It's not that I'm uh, projecting this or just speculating based upon my own opinions. They have told us that the Great Reset is something that they're comfortable with. They have told us that nothing is off the table as far as legislation now that they have the House, Senate, and the presidency. They've told us that eliminating the filibuster, adding D.C. as a state, adding Puerto Rico as a state to ensure that they never lose control, making mail-in voting a staple of our elections. All of these things are things that they have promised. The future looks different. The Equality Act, day one. Immigration, vastly changing. Coming against the First Amendment and the Second Amendment in ways like our country's never seen. The most pro-abortion ticket in U.S. history now runs our entire government on January 20th. All these things are things to be aware of. The Democratic Party is the party that has aided the rise of China, the, the, ride, the rise excuse me, of technocratic authoritarianism, ultra-progressivism. I had in California Kamala Harris as our senator. She's been in politics here in a long, for a long time. We have seen what Kamala does when she gets power. She weaponizes it to come after people that are pro-life. Pro-life clinics across the state of California, she tried to prosecute because they would not uh, do abortion referrals. So... We, we have to be aware of what's coming into office and call it out when it's necessary and pray that it's not as bad as I'm predicting. That, that's ultimately probably what the prayer needs to be. Six is this. I'll go as far as to say that I believe in 10 years, this kind of lumps in with what I just said, even the Biden voters of today will likely look back and say, man, we did not realize how good we had it under Trump. That's my prediction. You may think I'm crazy if you're someone on the left listening to this right now, but my prediction is this, that in 10 years, a large segment of our population that voted for Biden because they just couldn't stand Trump had no idea what they were actually voting for, and therefore in 10 years when they see the fruits of what they voted for are going to say, whoa, we'll take Trump back any day. We had no idea that this is what we were getting into. We had no idea the power that we were giving to these big tech companies. We had no idea the power that we were giving to China. That's the reality. China is the future. 
Their GDP is the future. And this, what took place on Wednesday with the formal certification of the Biden-Harris administration, only furthered that. It did not come against it. Even with all this, because that sounds really concerning, and I know that I just sounded very partisan, but those are my honest beliefs. And I've promised you in the show to always share with you my honest opinions. Doesn't mean I won't share both sides. Again, there are people that really love the future and are really, really excited, and they genuinely believe that Trump was the greatest threat. I think they're wrong. We'll have to wait and see. Even with all this, God is on his throne. Jesus reigns victorious. We're not hopeless. We're hope-filled. We have the opportunity to pray and engage with the society around us. Our circumstances do not get to determine our joy, our salvation, our ability to share the good news with those around us. The final thing I'll say is this. I am looking forward to staying engaged, covering the next administration and the future of our politics with passion, with integrity, pursuing character. And I encourage you all to stay as engaged as well. Do not pull your feet off the gas. A lot of people feel hopeless, like, ah, I tried to do my part and it just didn't work. That's not, I understand that, but that's not the appropriate attitude moving forward. We have to stay engaged. If you believe the system is broken, let's vote for people that will fix it. If you believe that voting is broken, let's pressure our elected officials that are currently in office to pursue election integrity and election reform into the future. I am not giving up just because I believe this election that took place on November 3rd was largely broken in many ways, especially due to mail-in ballots and the irregularities that took place and changing up the rules just before the election. Even though I believe that that took place, that does not mean that I'm encouraging people not to vote. In fact, it's it's me encouraging people to vote all the more. We need more people than ever turning out to ensure that we can make our voices heard into the future, standing for election integrity, standing for truth and transparency in the way in which we do our elections. And, and our political process as a whole, we need people that are willing to get on the front lines and say, I know that the situation may look bleak depending on what I believe about the world around me and depending on my political preferences. But at the end of the day, I do not pull back. I keep engaging. Even though big tech is trying to silence conservative voices, if you're a conservative voice, don't pull back. I'm not going to pull back. I'm going to keep going. And if they want to pull me off, they can. But at the end of the day, I'm going to make sure I am doing my part to share the truth with the world around me, to pursue truth with the world around me, humbly admitting when I'm wrong, but pursuing truth at all costs. And just because situations look bleak, I'm not going to stop from doing that. And I encourage all of us to continue on as well. Believe in the American system. Believe that even though it's broken, as it has been in the past, this is not new. We have the ability as Americans in this representative republic to make our voices heard. We have amendments that secure those rights and those guarantees. And I just pray that we continue to utilize them uh, in truth and in love, with conviction and with grace. So with all that said, that's where I'm going to leave today's episode. Really grateful for the opportunity to talk to you all today. I know we covered a lot at a very high level. Uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty a lot over the next few weeks again. So um, keep tuning in to the show. Really thankful that you'd take the time to listen with me today. As always, if you enjoy this content, make sure you share the show with your community. I'm hopeful, looking forward to the future. Concerned, but I'm hopeful. And I'm looking forward to going on this journey with you all into 2021. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. <laughs>